Well, good morning. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you'd grab your Bible and open it to Psalm 11, I have uh, the, uh, the freedom to choose where we look in the scriptures, and for that I'm thankful. At times, that, uh, that, that freedom makes it a little awkward in terms of uh, what do I preach on right before there's a short break in preaching. And so uh, next Sunday and the following Sunday, I will be uh, in, in the country of Ecuador. Uh, I'm going to be working with a, a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Bishop, and his wife Margie. They're with an organization called Reaching and Teaching. And uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Union, which is where I grew up, uh, he'll be with us as well, and uh, I'll be, I'll be in, a, in a week, we're doing an intensive New Testament survey. We're covering uh, a section on qualifications for elders and, uh, and also uh, characteristics of the, of the heart of a pastor. In, uh, it's going to be fun. This is preaching, preaching and teaching with translation, and, uh, and so I'm excited about it. Um, it's, looking over the material, it's, it's just uh, an it's an interesting arrangement, and they've crammed a lot of material in there. So I would appreciate your prayers, and uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm excited. But I also can't get anything started in the pulpit. You know, like usually I'm like, okay, we're gonna do five sermons on this. We're gonna look at this passage of scripture. We're gonna we're gonna draw this out. Or we're gonna draw that out. And so um, uh, we're gonna look at Psalm 11, and uh, so we're gonna read from there. And uh, then we're going to pray and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us and to bless our time this morning. David, the psalmist, writes this, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Lord, we are here this morning to hear your word as we worship you. It is good that we have done the things that we've done as we have gathered. We have sung songs of praise to you. And then we have made a contribution of what you've entrusted to us to support the work of this local expression of your body in the world. Lord, I'm thankful for the updates that we have about folks from our church who are out being stretched and tested and encouraged in their faith. And I am thankful for reports of, of people who we are supporting in our endeavors as we give to the cause that you've laid on their heart. 
And so we thank you for the opportunity to be part of doing the work that you've called us to. And Lord, now that we come to your word, I pray that we would receive it for what it is. You have spoken to us in these words. You call us to understand what is written in your word. You call us to connect that to the truth that we are connected to you in Jesus Christ, that he is our life and our foundation and our righteousness and all of the goodness that we possess and that we are saved not by our works but by your grace. And then, having heard that word, you call us to go and to live in a way that demonstrates that we believe in you, that your spirit is alive in us, and that we understand that you call your children to live in a gracious, loving, and holy manner. And so I ask as we begin that you would do a work that is beyond the ability of this preacher to accomplish in my own power and with my words i am unable to change anyone's opinion just through eloquence or illustrations or failed attempts at humor but i pray father that by the power of your spirit that you would grow our faith and our dependence you would help us to reject idols and to embrace holiness that we might live lives that honor you you have given us so much in jesus we are thankful we pray that our lives would be an expression of that an overflow of it that we would display the fruit that gives evidence that your son and your spirit are alive in us we thank you father for this blessing we pray this in jesus precious name amen as i uh thought about what I was going to say this, this week, I, I was brought to the conclusion that I, I tend to judge uh, things that are said to me personally by the source. We probably all have this, this pattern in us, right? Like we, we have built up a sense of, do I know this person and do I trust them, right? That's, that's, that's a sense. Um, do, I, do I know that this person is prone to exaggeration? Has this person's word failed in the past, you know? Do, do they have a good, uh, do, do I have a good connection with them? Uh, we judge info, the credibility of it based on the messenger, right? And then I noticed something else, that I don't ever look at the names of people or inspect their background or check out their reputation when I read news articles. Isn't that interesting? Like, I just assume because something's on the internet somewhere on some news website that this article must be true. And I routinely, as one of my habitual things, you know, is just to, to check out certain news sites and say, hey, what's going on in the world? What's going on here? What's going on there? Right? You know, that's just that's what we do. We turn on the news and we hear that, that there are facts that we need to grapple with and the level of authority that is evidence to us is that experts say, right? Now, at times, 
some have, have said, who exactly are these experts, right? And, and why do they have the authority to tell me what I should do? I can remember my mom, she does listen to these sermons, so I love you, mom. Um, she read an article that said that chicken skin was bad for you, and so every piece of chicken I ate in the Meyer house until I got married, I think, had the skin removed from it right before I ate it. Skin, man, in, in our house, the chicken skin in the Meyer house, my Meyer house, that was the Meyer house too, when, when the chicken comes out of the oven, it usually comes off of like a baking stone, you know, and so it comes out and it is sizzling, and there is like salt and pepper and some other stuff, like good garlic or onion powder or something on that, and so that chicken skin comes out and it is crispy and it is wonderful, and I'll stab you with a fork if you take my chicken skin. <laughs> So, like, experts say ruined my childhood as regard to chicken, but I, I'm thankful for my parents. They were godly people. Okay, yeah. Um, experts say, they say, we, we hear on commercials that nine out of ten dentists do this, right? Like, who are these people? Voices wield authority, and, and, and in our personal interactions, we may judge the messenger, but there are many, many voices that we listen to that we're not really testing, that, that we're taking their word for it, that, that, they, uh, that, they, that the voice has grown so loud and so strong in us or in the world, like in the influence and the patterns of the world, that, that we're maybe not even sure that we're listening to a voice anymore. Does that, does that make sense? Um, think about the way that other voices can influence us. David was in a cave and Saul was an inch away from him, and he could stab him. All the men knew that David was supposed to be king, and they were urging him, whispering to him, go ahead, he's right there, take him out, you're going to be king. Those voices surrounded him, and David had to discern in his spirit what he knew was right, and what he knew was wrong, what would please the Lord and what wouldn't, and he listened to the small voice, perhaps the voice that was not even speaking or whispering at that moment, and he knew that the other voices need to be resisted. Jesus heard the same thing in Matthew chapter 16. He asks the disciples, what are the voices out there saying about me? And Peter, speaking for the group, said, you know, um, they say that you're John the Baptist. They say that you're Elijah. They say that you're this one or that one. You know, uh, That's what the voices are saying. And Jesus then said, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus gives Peter a gold star and says, go to the front of the class. Because he says, you are right. You are blessed by God to know this. The Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Even if he kind of takes the credit away from Peter for knowing, right? I do not think this diminished Peter not one bit. Peter was like, I was blessed by God, guys. I knew the answer. I think he was like, star pupil, right? You know, now we should vote for which of the disciples goes home because I'm safe, right? You know, if this was reality TV, this is what would happen. But then Jesus says, okay, you realize that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God sent. I am the anointed one. Now we go to Jerusalem to die. And what did Peter whisper to Jesus? Took him aside. He said, no, no, no. The voice 
speaks to Jesus and tells him, nope, that's not the way that you carry out the mission of God. The way that you carry out the mission of God is you protect yourself. You grow in strength and power, and then you go to Jerusalem and kick out the authorities, take over yourself, kick out the Romans, and then we get to rule with you. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? They were like, oh, you thought you were safe, and you weren't going to get voted off the show? No, no, no. You're the one going home this week, right? You know? Back of the class. Dunce cap, right? If you remember that. That was like from the 19... Whatever's right, you know, educational methods we no longer employ, right? Dumbest in class, right? They send Peter away. Those who follow Christ, those who hear the word, those who put their faith and trust in God need to learn and need to grow in their awareness that there are voices that speak to us all the time. Bible scholar, I believe his name is Robert Zemeck, says this, in the midst of personal crisis, two voices speak to David in Psalm 11. Two voices. David makes up his mind to trust only one. As Christians, as those who say, I follow Jesus, I have put my faith and trust in him, I have abandoned confidence in myself to save myself. I have tied my rope to Jesus. He is going to be my righteousness. He is going to be my authority. He is going to set the standard for my life. As Christians, we ought to listen to other voices where they have authority, but we always ought to remember that where God speaks, when God speaks, how God speaks is greater than any authority. And that his voice is to be trusted first and foremost and above all things. Amen. Let's take a look. Uh, I'm going to be breaking this down according to uh, Robert Zemeck's outline in his, in his uh, excellent book on the Psalms. He does a wonderful job of, of breaking down the Psalms. And uh, it's, it's been a tremendous help to me over the years. Uh, so David speaks about his confidence amid crisis, okay? That's the first thing that he does. There is uh, stuff falling apart all around him, things going wrong, but David maintains his confidence. Remember, this is a song, right? This is going to be a journey. This is going to be a story. But right from the very beginning, he's going to tell you how it's going to work out. He says this at the beginning, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord, I take refuge. Listen, this is not weakness. This is wisdom, right? In each and every situation where there is an encounter or a battle or there is a struggle, the first rule is take cover, right? Get yourself as much protection as you can so that you can win the battle. For believers, for Christians, we have an amazing source of strength and protection. And so we ought to be confident. In the Lord, I take refuge. I had my fair share of troubles in high school, right? You know, there were those who wanted to punish me, hurt me, beat me up for whatever reason. You know, maybe it was because of my overwhelming attractiveness. 
Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why there were some who didn't like me. I know there was at least one person who liked Nancy more than he liked me and thought that if he could end my life, then maybe she would be interested in him. You know, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how that resolved, but it was a long time ago. You know, I was not afraid to tell people that Eric Meyer is my older brother because he was huge. He looked kind of like me, but without glasses on Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, right? Take my head and put it, I mean, he was huge. He'd drink a gallon of milk every day. And I would say, if you mess with me, he will hurt you, you know? And I would just tell my brother, like, I'm just, I'm telling people, you know? Um, I'm telling people that you're unreasonable and that you will hurt them, you know, so that they don't hurt me. And he was fine with that because in my brother, I took refuge. And this, listen, you know, it's all about survival. And here I am today, right? All intact. For the Christian, the first refuge, the first place that we flee to, the source of our defense ought to be the Lord. We are foolish if we do not take cover in each and every situation, if we don't run to him. And many of us have this idea or this conception that we are bothering God with our trouble or that he doesn't really have time for us. Surely keeping the sun running and the earth spinning and all the other stuff in the universe must be really taking up his attention, right? Does he really care about little old me? The scripture says we're supposed to cast our cares, our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He's got time. Do not have this image of an overloaded computer network or of an old-timey switch operator like trying to keep up with things, you know, like Lucy and Ethel trying to get the chocolates in the boxes. That is not God. His assembly line runs perfectly. If you don't know who Lucy and Ethel are, shame on you. No, um, it's I Love Lucy. Go look it up, Chocolate Factory. You'll see it on YouTube. David takes confidence, but he responds first to the voices of fear that urge him to flee. Look at what he says in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. And so then he reacts I believe, to the things that are being said. How then, or so how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? And yet, this is the way we often instinctively react, isn't it? When, when the situation changes, when difficulty comes, we are wired to run from danger, whether it's physical or spiritual. We need to remember and catch ourselves many times from running away from what we know is true and good and right. And we need to remember, remind, or point ourselves in the direction of taking refuge in the Lord. The voices that, uh, that urge flight or fear come from many places. There's an internal kind of soul speak that's going on in our minds all the time. I think they can basically be boiled down to, to three different things. Our circumstances, our feelings, or attitudes that are out in the culture. We, we come underneath some kind of attack or we find, some, we, we, we find ourselves in a situation where we think, I must act and I can either 
trust the Lord or I can respond in fear. And I think many times those situations come from just one of these three places or a mix of the two of them. The first is circumstances, right? We can, we can wake up and, and go through life blessed and then we hit a little bit of car trouble, right? And our attitude or our approach changes. Last Sunday, right? I had to, or last Saturday, I had to go and, and take a ride and do something and right before I had to do it, I lost my wallet and I couldn't find it. Man, you know, the next 48 hours, were horrific. Now, my wife said, you will find it, right? You know, now in our household and in our relationship, right, in parentheses ahead of that is, it's okay, trust in the Lord, you're going to find it. But look, I prayed, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And listen, Jesus is supposed to come through. Like, I got stuff to do. Where is my wallet? You know? And so this week in the mail, the duplicate license arrived and the brand new credit card and all that stuff. But you know what? It was in her car. It was there. But it affected me. Uh, it, it affected me. You know, it shook me. My circumstances were not what I desired. And so my trust was like, ugh, anxiety, you know? We come under attack because of our circumstances. We also come under attack because of our feelings or because of our, our personal condition. Within the recovery movement, whether it's uh, AA or NA, there's this phrase, I think I've said this before, it's called HALT, right? Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Right? These are questions that we're supposed to ask when we're about to make a decision. It's like, I think it's completely and utterly reasonable to make this decision right now. And somebody's like, eh, you shouldn't do that. Well, ask yourself, are you hungry, lonely, angry, or tired? Right? All those Snickers commercials, like the hangry thing, you know, where, where they eat some food and then they feel better. Like, you know, hey, take a moment. Assess yourself. Are you being driven by your feelings, by some internal, like are you about to make a rational decision? Take refuge in the Lord and delay. And then there are all kinds of cultural shifts that are taking place around us. Our culture has gotten to the point where anything goes anything goes. It is completely and utterly okay, but you know what happens? Go ahead and live any way you want. Be free. Fly like a bird and do whatever you want, right? But then the cultural tide shifts, and suddenly what we're seeing in the news, right, is we've, we've been hearing for years, oh, don't be so judgy with sexual morality, right? That's what we've been hearing. On the, uh, that's the message that Hollywood has been pumping to us for years. We know what happens. Times change. And now all of a sudden, we're calling for all these people to pay the paycheck, right? To pay the bill for all the things that they've done. And now it's judge, 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 judge. Culture shifts and changes. Because they say there are no moral absolutes. There are only the absolutes that we have defined. And so we need to be aware when, when we're feeling pressure or attack, we need to say, is this because of culture? Is this something around me that is forcing me to think that I should compromise? You know what's gone out the window? Discipline and hard work. A culture that 
completely and utterly focuses on culture, I mean on, on comfort and entertainment, finds things like scripture memory, Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, find them burdensome. Oh, it's so difficult. Because it's not easy, right? You know, soon we're going to invent food that just leaps up into our mouths because we're going to find spoons and forks boring. That's the way our culture is heading. Now, many times what happens when, when we start to get into this territory and we start to dig in a little bit, you know, the, uh, the shields come up, right? This is what happens. We, we take cover. We take cover from the wrong thing, though. Right? You know, it's, it's smart when, when the, uh, the Starship Enterprise encounters some aliens, right? What does the captain say? The first thing, he's always like, raise, your sh raise the shields, right? Turtles and hermit crabs know this. There's a threat. It's a big guy. He's coming, and he's tapping on the glass. I'm going to hide, and he like, retracts into his shell, right? He's not, he's not going to allow anything to, to penetrate his defenses, we have, we have dug ourselves in many times, and we, we have said that, that our circumstances justify our behavior, or that our feelings justify our behavior, or the fact that the culture has shifted on an issue and, and has gone another way means it's okay for us to behave or to think any way that we like. James says, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls we need to hear the rebuke of God that comes in a forceful but also gentle word that says this is the way that you ought to go this is who you should trust and what we need to do when we hear that word is to turn down the noise of the culture to take our eyes off of our circumstances and off of our feelings and say I'm going to lower my shields and I'm going to let the word come in and correct me I tell you what that is not easy it's not easy it's not easy my feelings and my my judgment of my circumstances are so wrapped up at times in my goals for the day or my goals in the short term or the long term that it's hard to disentangle them. I, I think some of the times these things are easy to say, but, but, but they're difficult to enact. So there's a, there's a battle here. But we need to be aware that there are voices speaking to us that make complete and perfect sense that are pointing us in a way that is not helpful. The Proverbs say that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. This is the right way, right? This is good. Let's go this way, this way. Let's go this way. And it leads us where? To destruction. It leads us away from the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks about the voices that are speaking to us, I've said this before, I think it bears repeating. He says that we can get into a condition where we are spiritually depressed, where we are walking or attempting to walk in Christ, that we are, we are seeking to do the right things, but yet we've come underneath a cloud or we have gotten confused, and he calls this spiritual depression. We, are, we feel afflicted. 
We feel like we're not receiving direction from the Lord. And so he addresses this by saying the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. I love the fact that he asks this question. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now he moves over into uh, the, the psalm, Psalm 34, I believe it is, where the man's, the man's discussion is this. Instead of allowing him set the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. The, the despair is in the first lines of the psalm, and then the psalmist says, Why so cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him. His soul had been crushing him. And so he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. Lloyd-Jones goes on and he says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You must take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business do you have to be in despair? You must turn on yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, build yourself up, and then say to yourself, hope in God, instead of constantly muttering to yourself in a depressed, unhappy way. And then you must Go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then, having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his blessings, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. There is a, a place in the scriptures where Jesus comes upon a man. The man had been lying next to a pool for over 20 years. He was laying there. He was lame. He was sick. He was near the pool because the legend had it that an angel would come down from heaven and stir the pool. And whoever was first to jump into the magic pool when the waters were stirred would be healed. Right? And Jesus walks up to this guy and he says to him, hey, do you want to be well? And the guy says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred and so I can't get well. You assess that guy, he doesn't actually answer Jesus' question. He's not interacting with what Jesus has said because he's telling himself a story. Because he is listening to a voice. A voice that says, you can't ever get well because you're not fast. You can't get in the pool. Everyone else is faster than you. So Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says, oh, I couldn't possibly ever get well because rules. 
because circumstances, because everybody's gathered around me and there's no pool monitor who's like, take a number and you'll be the next one in the pool. Every, the faster people get healed and therefore I cannot get healed. And Jesus is like, do you, do you even want to get well? Right? As, as Christians, we need to learn to question the rules that surround our script and our story. Well, I have to sin in this way. I have to bend to the morality of my workplace. I have to disobey this command. It's okay to disobey this commandment because of my feelings. I don't have to do this or to do that. I don't have to listen to the Lord. I don't have to respond to his spirit. I can sin because justification, blah, 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 blah. And we write this script that has us pointed in the direction of I listen to the voices that speak to me and I ignore the voice of God. Because here's, here's what happens. We are not yet who we are going to be in eternity. We have been given the power of the Spirit, and that means that we need never sin again. We need never fail. We need never step outside of the will of God. And yet there is this regular battle between fallenness and new life. And we need to, as Paul says, set our minds on the things that are above that we need to think upon good things, that we need to trust in God, that we need to act in ways that reflect his grace and kindness and holiness. But we are so attuned to the noise of the world and the noise of our flesh and the desires of sin and the temptations of the devil when what we need to be doing on a regular basis is ignoring and tuning that out and saying, hey, Quiet that down, right? This happens when I'm driving and we're getting close to, man, you probably know what this is about. When we're getting close to where we need to be and I need to navigate, I need silence around me. Stop with all the like talking and the music, right? I turn the volume down. If somebody's watching a movie on, on the, the in-car video thing and it's like, that's gotta go off. Like we need to listen to the little voice that speaks to us from the phone, right? Because I need to focus. All that other stuff is gonna drown that noise out. What, what, what is God saying? What is the Spirit saying? What is, what is the Spirit speaking to me in the words from God's Word that I know that are saying, this is what is true? All this other stuff, all the other noise that's, that's blaring at us is drowning this out. And we need to make sure that we're not listening to all of the nonsense. David first highlights the fact that there is a voice that speaks to his soul, the source of it. And then we see the substance of it. The voice says to him, flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. Think about that as a sinister illustration. There are wicked people in the world. There are those who are hunting you in the night. Like imagine that if you, if you were like out in your backyard, you're just kind of walking around. It is dark. And then I were to call you on the phone and say, somebody is hiding. An evil person. And they have an arrow aimed at you right now. Yeah, and you, you're imagining in your head, you know, you're hearing that like leather creaking sound that you see in TV or movies, and it's like 
all you're, you're waiting is for that, and the arrow's coming. Like, this is a sinister image. Run, is what the voice is saying to David. Run away. The wicked is ready to shoot at you. And then the second thing, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The voice, first and foremost, says this, flee. There's a, a command in the voice, run away. Run and hide on, in your mountain. Now, this is not the mountain of the Lord, right? It's not. This is fly like a bird to your mountain. It's run back to the defenses that you have constructed yourself. There's a very practical reason why we ought to run presented here, and that, that, that's that the world is full of people who do not have God's values, God's ways, or God's desires at the center of their mind and their heart. We are surrounded by people, the voice says, that we ought to make peace with if we are going to get on in the world. We need to conform ourselves to them and not conform ourselves to the will of God and his way of thinking. And so we find the voice speaking to us in our own voice, and the voice says to us, if I don't do this, if I say something, if I speak up, I'll be rejected, and no one will like me. I will be alone. I will look foolish. That person will say that I am dumb, or they'll think that I'm not perfect, or I will get fired, or I won't have enough money, or I will disappoint everyone. And the, the fear begins to radiate and make us feel weak. And, and, and many times, if, if you find that you're a person who struggles with anger, this is the, the issue. When you feel that, that, that fear, you don't like to feel weak, and so you get angry, right? And you cover that, 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 that fearfulness with anger, and you're like, you know, like, I will respond in strength in this situation. The voice tells us to run. Many times it speaks in our own voice. It tells us to lay hold of our own resources instead of trusting in God and pursuing his will and his way. The second reason presented for fleeing is a philosophical reason. The first one's practical. We're surrounded by people that we need to make peace with. And, and, and they're more alive and more present to us than God is. That's the first reason. The second reason is a philosophical reason. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The idea here is the problems that I'm dealing with in my life are just too big. There's just there's too much going on, you know, that, that, that the difficulties cannot be overcome. We, I can't win anyway. You know, the world is, is bad and it's full of bad people. And so what does small failure or compromise really mean? You know, what is this in, this, in the grand sense of the world? What's it all about? anyway. Now, this is addressed in a couple of different places in the scriptures. If you ever get that feeling when you are trying to make the decision of, I'm going to follow the voice of the Lord, and you feel completely and utterly alone, that's normal. It's normal. It's, this is like, take a, take a slice or a scene out of a nature documentary, right? What does the prowling lion, this is what the devil is called in the scriptures, he prowls around like a roaring lion. What does he do? Right? You hear the voice of the nature documentary. You know, the crafty hunter separates the sick gazelle from the rest of the tribe. And then you see the gazelle, and he's like, 
I'm completely and utterly alone. And then you're like, now he dies, right? And it's like, Rah! right? When you feel alone and you feel like, what's the point? You know, why? Like Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I think the scripture would say, do you think you're originating those thoughts yourself? Or is that coming from spiritual assault? Is it coming from habits associated with, with failure? Are these patterns that you have built up over a life of living in your own strength? What you can do is erase the script and the rules at that point. The rules that the, the voices are telling you and say, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And I'm going to be faithful to him. There was a moment in Elijah's life where he fled from difficulty and he put himself before the Lord and he says to the Lord, oh, things are so bad, you know, I'm opposed by the king and there's difficulty here and there's difficulty there and no one is faithful to the Lord, only I'm left. And we're supposed to read from that that Elijah was having a massive pity party and, and God had appointed him to do things and he was like, it's too bad and, and the world is so sad, and I can't do anything. And God's like, actually, you're not the only one left. There's 7,000 other people who also still worship me. Not to, not to burst your bubble or anything, Elijah, but like, I've kept more than just you for myself. If we feel alone, we need to remember scriptural truths. If you have a couple good relationships in your life, if you've got some good people built up, there are people that you can rehearse some biblical truths to. 1 Corinthians 10.13 begins with this. No temptation that has overtaken you is uncommon to man. There's no temptation that you have ever struggled with that other people haven't struggled with. And yet, we react often like, oh, I'm feeling the temptation to behave this way, and if I reveal that to anyone, they will hit me with a spiritual rock. Right? Does anybody ever feel that way? I can't tell anybody about this. Really? Almost everybody in this room has been tempted in a similar way. Now, we don't all sin or, 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 or we're not all tempted in the exact same ways, but it's pretty common. But we want to we protect ourselves and our reputation because the voice and the script is saying you can't trust anyone. You have to trust in, in yourself and you only. Don't take, don't take refuge anywhere but in you. Run. The voice of God says, be humble. Let down your guard. Trust the Lord. In 2 Kings 6.15, there is a, a man who is serving the prophet Elijah, and he sees a city completely and utterly besieged by enemy troops, and he begins to despair. And he turns and he looks at his master and says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Overwhelmed with, with fear, looking at the physical circumstances in front of him, looking at the fact that there were hundreds of men there with swords and spears who were eventually going to break through the city's defenses and stab them with swords and spears, and their life would be over. He gives in completely and utterly to despair. And the prophet's prayer is this, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Now, many times when we are facing despair and difficulty and we are overwhelmed and, and, and we're saying, what is, what is the answer? You know, like, how, how is this going to work out? Give me some encouragement. What we want is for someone to say, here's the future. Here's exactly what's going to happen. This is why horoscopes and fortune tellers and all those other charlatans are popular because they give you specific and definite answers. The Christian, you know what the Christian is able to say to people struggling with what's going to happen in the future? They're able to say this, God is good. And his word can be depended on. And he will see you through this. Hopefully they're not super casual about it in a way that's flippant. But they say something like, you know, this is going to be okay. God's going to cause this to work together for your good. You're going to make it work out for good. Just trust in the Lord. Many of you, you've been through circumstances where you know this is true. What you, what you need is to just remain faithful and add some time to it, Right? And eventually you see that the Lord has been faithful and good to you and things are okay and they weren't as bad as they seemed. But we're just like, we want some proof. And so one time in the scriptures, right, here's this, this, this situation where the prophet says to his servant who's freaking out, he's like, those who are with us are more than those who are opposed to us. Once we get, we get this view where the prophet then says, hey, Lord, could you please show him what I'm talking about? And the servant's eyes are open and he sees the angel armies. And he's like, oh, yeah, there are a lot more of our people surrounding. You know what happens after that? It's like, I think because God is not an animal on the end of a chain, because he's not a puppet designed to respond to anything that we want or think. You know, he's not a vending machine. It's not like, you know... Pray, prayer, receive blessing now. It's not Amazon, you know. There's no drone flying to deliver a package. Sometimes answers come quickly. Sometimes answers take forever to come. But just once, God's like, here, I'll show you the armies. And it's there they are. And now we're like, show them to us again. And God's like, no. Just trust. The word's true. The word is true, and it can be depended on. This is one of the reasons in Scripture why they raised up stones, and they made monuments, and they celebrated feasts so that they would not forget the milestones, because we need reminders. We need reminders. Now, some, some people are like, every Christian needs to journal. That's cool. I have terrible, horrible handwriting. Right. You know, I write thank you notes to people and I seal them up and I'm like, I wonder if they will ever be able to read this. You know, I just I, I don't know. You know, um, so I don't I don't journal per se. I, I, I make notes to myself. I keep cards. I print out emails that people send to me. You know, I, I keep little treasures and things. You know, I keep things from, from missions trips. I got this little car that my mom gave me to remind me of the car that was given to us when we didn't know how we were going to get back and forth from South, North, from South Carolina to New Jersey. Like I got that, and I see it, and it reminds me of the faithfulness of God. Right? They raised up a rock, and they named it Ebenezer in the Old Testament to remember that the Lord had brought them to that place. When they, were, they walked past it, right? they were like, what? The kids were like, why is that rock there? And they were like, that's Ebenezer. And the kids weren't like, oh, the guy from the Christmas Carol? Because that was later. They knew the word Ebenezer meant the Lord brought us to this place. Because we need the reminders over and over and over and over and over. You know? It's a good argument for posting scripture everywhere in your house. 
right? This is where the conflicts happen, right? You know? You're there, and you're like, you're, you're listening to the voice of yourself, and you're like, I'm about to lose my mind, and then you see, like, speak pure and gentle things, <laughs> right? There's, there's this little scripture verse, there's no little scripture verse, it's on a small sheet of paper, let's say that, hanging up where we wash dishes, that says, this is my confidence in my affliction, that the Lord gives us hope, that's a mangling of it, it's like there out of the corner of my eye. But I look over at it, and I remind myself over and over again about the Lord's faithfulness in the middle of difficulty. We focus on this voice, and not the voice that urges fear. In the book of Isaiah, God says to Israel, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And so moving away from the reasons of flight, we see reasons for faithfulness. And there is a voice filled with facts that urges faith. That faith is rooted in God's sovereignty first and foremost. We see this in the first part of verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 115 verse 3, I think by some is, is taken to, be, uh, to, to present a character of God that is scornful or flippant or you know, takes the affairs of the world lightly, but I think that this verse just exudes the confidence and power and control of God. It says this, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. A similar verse is Psalm 2, verse 4. After rehearsing the actions of the nations, of the tribes of humanity and their armies with their spears and their swords, today we would say with their guns and their buttons, right, their bombs and all that stuff, you know, all this arrogance that's spilling through the world. We're powerful. We do what we want. We live our way. We are in control. Psalm 2, verse 4 says this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Why can we have complete and utter confidence in the things that God says? Because human beings don't make the rules. God makes the rules. God makes the rules. Humans may be able to control our circumstances or oppress us, but God is in control. He is in control. We've become so addicted as Americans, I believe, to comfort and eliminating suffering that we think that every little tiny thing that encroaches on our comfort is a spiritual attack, right? And we're like, oh, you know, my cable bill went up. I'm oppressed. You know, God, why aren't you coming through for me with my financial needs? I have an idea. Cancel cable. Right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, listen, I got cable. Don't, like, I'm not, I'm not ripping on the cable people, okay? But it's like, it's like everything, everything is not a spiritual attack. We, we need to look at life and say that God's built rules into the universe 
Time and time again, we have seen human beings exalt themselves and say, I am God and no one can touch me. And then they fade from view, right? You see that actor who everybody thought was like the greatest thing, the most handsome man in the universe, right? You know, and you compared yourself to him at one point and thought like, I guess I'm not that attractive. Or ladies, you know, you looked at a, a, another beautiful human and you thought, who would ever love me? You know what? At, at this point in my life, I'm seeing people who were like the beautiful people in movies when I was a kid. And now I see a picture of them and I'm like, whoa, what happened? Well, you know what happened? 40, 43 years happened, right? Time erases all arrogance and leaves us all humbled. But we forget in the moment. We need to remember that God is sovereign and that he is in control. And then we need to root our faith in the justice of God. It says here that God's eyes see. That's in verse 4. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Now I'm going to dump about seven things because I don't know why, but after like 15 years of preaching, I still can't manage my time well. I want to focus on on one thing here. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. We see the scripture here discuss what is right and proper, that those who oppose God ultimately and never bend to his will or his wishes, they do not listen to his voice. What they deserve ultimately is separation from God because that's what they have chosen. They have chosen to be removed from him and all his blessings. But it sets up a a challenge in the hearts of many of us who have tender conscience. The minute that, that we say that there are those who deserve judgment, many of us ask the question, how do I know whether or not I deserve judgment? Well, the answer is simple. The scriptures say that we all deserve judgment. And that there is only one person who meets any of these qualifications. You realize when this scripture says that the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. He's not talking about humanity as two groups, ultimately. In the New Testament, we learn that there is only one who is righteous. That the, the, the camp of the human population looks like this. Let's just say that there have been 20 billion human beings who've lived on this planet. It's always a number that I'd be interested to know. Like, how many humans have there really been? This is what the figures look like. The wicked, 20 billion. The righteous, one. One. The New Testament tells us that God is good and kind and he provides a way of escape. That if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, all of his righteous deeds will be attributed to us. That they will be given to us. And then we are to take that righteousness as Jesus takes our sins. We can have it. It is free. And it is given to us. And then we ask the question, what does the Lord require of us? Because he does inspect our hearts. He does look for righteous living. Let me share with you one verse over and over again that lists that qualification. And then I want to close with an encouragement to listen to the one voice. 
This might take a couple more minutes. Many times I say I'm going to chuck my sermon, and then some of you are like, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but lunchtime. You know, so I don't want to go super long here. But what does the Lord require of his people? This is what the scripture says. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs 3, 34, towards the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Matthew 23, 16, whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You hear this, right? It's the same thing over and over, just different, different ways of saying it. Luke 1.52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is it that the Lord requires of us? that we love mercy, that we don't embrace hypocrisy, that we do justly, that we say, this is the right thing to do in this situation. God, I hear you speaking, and I'm going to do it. And that we walk humbly with our God. That we don't say, here's a list of reasons why you ought to admit me into heaven. That list ought to have one reason on it. You were kind and gracious to me in Christ. That's the one reason. And then we say, and I did what I could and tried to walk in that truth. I tried to display the fruit of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. That's not justification for entering heaven. That's, look, I applied my energy to living in the way that you commanded. And I did it humbly. Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord this morning. Because throughout the time that I've been talking, you've been thinking, here is a moral issue. Here is a commandment of God that I have raised my shields to. And I have said, ain't nothing getting through this shield, right? You know, the, the gospel dart comes at you and you hear that, that song on the radio or we say the fighter verse and you're like, oh, there it is, right? But you're like Bruce Lee. You're like, Pyah, right? And you like bounce that thing away. Nothing's getting through your defenses. Maybe you need to throw the defenses away and say, I'm going to listen to the truth. Maybe there is some lie that you have been telling yourself like you are garbage or that God could never forgive you. Do you realize, now don't, don't, don't make this your new lie, but you realize when you say God could never forgive me, what you're saying is that God is a liar because he says that he will forgive every sin. Maybe there's some new story you need to tell yourself. Maybe there's some script or a set of voices that you need to ball up and throw in the garbage can. Better yet, burn it so that you can't dig it out of the garbage can and look at it again. What is it that you need to flush so you can listen to the voice? God promises that he will come through. The psalmist says this, the upright shall behold his face. Those who are upright live because of their faith in Christ, and they will see the Lord in glory. 
In another psalm, the psalmist says, As for me, I shall behold your faith in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So this morning, as I close, I just want to challenge you. I want to urge you to do business with the Lord and to analyze what do the voices say and what do you need to say back to them so you can turn away from them and focus on the voice of the Lord. Choose to emerge from your shell. Leave the defenses behind. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. That's what the Bible says. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for your grace, your kindness. We thank you that you hold out the opportunity to be forgiven from everything. And you speak to us with a loud and clear voice in the scriptures. And you make promises Promises that don't shift and change like our thoughts, our feelings, our circumstances, the people that surround us, the rules of the culture, all those things change. But this word remains the same and it outlines your attitude and your will and your ways. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do what was said earlier, that we would defy ourselves and the rules that we have written and that we would hear your voice as one that is clear and authoritative. We would leave behind the shifting changes of the world, and that we would say, I want to live in a way that pleases the Lord, because he has given me life. And if you've not made the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ this morning, it is simple. Martin Luther said, all we need to do is say, Jesus, I am, a, I am sin and you are my righteousness. We surrender our sin to him and we believe that he will give us his righteousness. Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness toward us. I pray that you would help us to remember these words and to trust in you always. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together as we close.